Now, we're into our third week in our current series of heaven. Now, last week we kind of talked about how heaven, we kind of try to relate that to a vacation, the things you got to do for vacation, the same things you got to do for heaven. You need reservations for uh, vacation. Vacation's temporary, heaven's going to be permanent. Uh, you sacrifice throughout the year in order to gain that one or two weeks of vacation. And we sacrifice, the Bible says, we sacrifice now in order to gain a more excellent resurrection. So, and lastly, the most important thing is both vacation and heaven, who's going to be with you? So we want to make sure that everyone we know has the opportunity to be with us in heaven. So today we're going to look at what happens right after we die. That's, uh, that's fun, right? I mentioned the first week of heaven that there is an afterlife, and it's becoming popular in the world today. Even with people who are not religious, they are thinking that there's something beyond this life. People who don't believe in God, don't go to church, don't believe in anything, still think and believe and behave like there's something that's coming. I've never been at a funeral, I've never done a funeral where someone has not said that that person's in heaven. They, they all think it's heaven, and they all believe they're going to go there. So... Um, and I think the reason why is Ecclesiastes 3.11 says this. He, in other words, God, has also set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. So I think that the thought that there's an afterlife put there by God. Everyone thinks that. Their heart, they cannot understand. They can't comprehend God. They can't comprehend the faith, but they still believe that there's an afterlife. One study found that 32% of atheists and agnostics believe in life after death. I mentioned this earlier. Pew Research found that 37% of people in general believe in heaven, 27 believe in hell. Now, it's funny. I, I don't understand if they don't believe in a God and, and the Creator. Where do they get afterlife from? Where do they get heaven from? But I think that God put that in their hearts. They just haven't received it yet. Now, I can understand why people want to believe in a heaven who don't understand, don't know God. And the, one, the, the example I can think of is imagine losing a child or a spouse or even parents. How painful it is to think that that's all and that you'll never see them again and that all they're going to do is be buried in the ground and they're going to be turned into dust and that's it. I think the mind has to think that there's something beyond this earth. Now, there are all different types of questions that come up at that time of loss. People have asked me, where are they right now? Are they alive? Do they know me? Do they remember me? What are they doing? And these type of questions are not unique to this generation. They've been around since the Bible was written. The scripture we've read for the past few weeks addresses some of those questions. Now, we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians 4, and this is the church in Thessalonica at the time they were taught about the rapture. However, people had died and the rapture hadn't happened yet. And so the people that were still alive were kind of worried about those who had already gone. If the rapture is coming, why isn't it here yet and what's going to happen to the people that died? And Paul goes to answer that in 1 Thessalonians 4.13. He says, brothers, we don't want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep. Now, many times in the Bible, believers who pass away, the Bible refers to them as going to sleep. When the ruler came to Jesus to ask him to tell him about his daughter having died, 
And Jesus went there to pray for her. Matthew 9, 23 says, When Jesus entered the ruler's house and saw that the flute players and the noisy crowd, he said, Go away, the girl is not dead but asleep. Acts 7, 59. This is when Stephen was being stoned. He was almost, he was going to die at this moment. And it says, While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. In Acts 13, 36, Luke is referring back to David. And he says, For when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his fathers. Now, the word that they use for sleep is interesting because it's used as when someone checks into a hotel on their way to something else. How many have gone on a two or three day trip and you stop overnight and you get up the next morning and you keep driving? That's what this word refers to. It's the same word that they use for dormitory. And if you're in a college, you know the dormitory is just a, a temporary stop until you're out into the world. Our word cemetery comes from the Greek word, if I can get it right, cormaterian, which means a sleeping place or dormitory. For Christians, a cemetery is just a place where we stop and then we continue on our way to heaven or the other place, if they don't believe. Now, we're going to look at Luke 16 with me. Now, we've talked about this passage before. We've talked about the hell aspect. It's the Lazarus and the rich man. We're not going to do much about the hell. We're going to look at the heaven side of the story. Now, most of you know it. It's not a parable. It is a, an actual event that Jesus goes on to teach about. And it says this, Luke 16, 19. There was a rich man who was dressed in fine purple, or purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. So in parables, Jesus never uses any names. He uses generic terms. The brother, older brother, younger brother, he just uses generic terms. But in this story, he uses names and examples. We believe this is a real event, not just a parable. And so here we have two examples of people one who trusted Jesus and one who did not. Now, before we go any further, and I think you know this, their material wealth or lack of it was not the determining factor of where they wound up. They wound up there because of their either relationship with Jesus or they don't have a relationship with Jesus. So rich people go to heaven, poor people go to heaven, rich people can go to hell, poor people can go to hell. But this is just an example that Jesus gave us. In verse 22, it says, The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. Everyone's going to get to this point when our earthly lives are over. Now, I've read this a lot of times, and every time you read it, you always pick up something new. Notice it doesn't say he was buried. Didn't have a funeral, didn't have a service. He was a beggar. So his body was probably taken to the dump. Out in Gehenna, they burned the garbage. That's probably where his body went. But at the point of his death, it says the angels, and there's more than one of them, escorted him to paradise. Wow. The moment he closed his eyes here, man, angels took him to heaven. You know what that means? He didn't make the journey alone. He went, he had an escort. 
They escorted him up through the two heavens and they wound up in the third heaven. Angels took him. Doesn't say how many, but it does say more than one. How many have heard of testimonies of Christians who were close to death seeing angels at the foot of their bed? Now, I used to discount that stuff until I read this verse. As soon as you're getting ready to pass away, man, angels are there to take you up. Try, imagine, try to imagine that. It's, it's kind of hard, too hard to grasp in the, in the mind that angels will be sitting there waiting for you to take your last breath, and the minute you do, you're escorted to heaven. Now, not only does he get escorted to heaven, he arrives there, and where does he wind up? At Abraham's side. He wasn't dumped at the gate. There was no pearly gate. There was no Peter at the gate checking him. He wound up at Abraham's side. In other words, there was someone there to greet him. You ever go to a, an event and not know anybody? And kind of just stand around waiting for someone to introduce you to someone or but you're standing there by yourself and the night goes kind of slow not so in heaven angels escorted him and put him right by abraham abraham was the one to whom he was escorted now look in comparison to that in verse 22 it says the rich man also died and was buried Remember, Lazarus was taken to the dump. This guy was rich. So you can imagine what type of hoopla funeral service he had. Quite a contrast to what Lazarus had on this earth. But the next verse says, and we'll just look at this real quickly. Verse 23 says, in hell, when he was in torment, he looked up. No escort to hell. He just looked up no one welcoming in there you know there's people in the world say when I get to hell I'm gonna party with my friends that's not gonna happen <laughs> figure there's no light so you can't see anything you're not gonna see other people and you'll be in too much pain to do any partying he woke up after dying I'm guessing because he was in pain Now, I'm going to go into something that we've taught before, but I'm just going to mention one thing. Verse 26, and it says, Beside all this between us and you is a great chasm has been fixed so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. That was after Lazarus was talking to God about Abraham, about the rich man. Once we die, there's no going back. No second chances, no... Not a, it's not a temporary place where you get better and get prayed into heaven. You're there, you're there. There's no going back. There's no second chances. There's no crossing over to heaven. Just like heaven is permanent, hell is permanent. Now, let's go back to the heaven aspect. When they were in this place called Hades or Sheol, Old Testament uses the word Sheol, New Testament uses the word Hades, Hades was one big area that had two different compartments. You want to put that first side up, Brad? All right. This is one area in the Old Testament time when you, if you're a believer, you went down, you were on Abraham's side. If you died as an unbeliever, you went on the place of torments. 
And you can see there's two compartments in Hades. The chasm between, you can't go back and forth. Lazarus, when he died, he was on the paradise side, which would be over here. Along with the one thief that Jesus said to him in Luke 23, 43, Jesus answered, I'll tell you the truth, today you'll be with me where? In paradise. So that's where Lazarus went. He went to the paradise side of, of Hades or Sheol. Now, Jesus, when he was resurrected, he came back, he was around them for about 40 days, gave them final instructions, and then the Bible says he ascended. Acts 1.9 says, After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. So, it's at this point, Jesus actually takes the people from the paradise side to heaven with him. All right, Ephesians 4.8. It says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. Verse 9 says, what does he ascended mean except that he also descended into the lower earthly regions, Sheol or Hades. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill, fill, uh, fill the whole universe. Now there's a teaching that says that after Jesus was on the cross and he died, he actually went to the place of torment. I mean, no, that's not true. Right? He didn't suffer in hell. The Bible says, Jesus says, it's finished. That's all he needed to do on the cross. There was no going to hell to suffer. But what he did do is he went to the paradise side of, of Hades and took that compartment with him to heaven. Can you put the second image up there, Brad? See what's going to happen here. The safe compartment of Hades at the resurrection, they go to be in heaven. The unsaved folks are going to stay in the, the torment side and, later, and, guess, and unfortunately it gets worse than that. We're going to see that a little bit later. But Hades is not the final place for the unbeliever. It gets worse for them. Revelation 20, 14 says, Then death and Hades, that compartment, which is now empty of believers, is thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. There's a saying that says, Born twice, die once. Born once, die twice. It's imperative that we're born twice, born again. So here's a question for you. I never thought about this before. Our bodies go into the grave. These physical bodies go in the dirt. And these bodies don't reunite until Jesus comes back. So what do we have in heaven? From the time we die to the time of the rapture, what happens? The Bible says we don't reunite with our dead bodies until the rapture. Verse Thessalonians 4.13 or 4.16. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. That's us. And well, if we're dead. Hope, you know, we, hopefully we die before the rapture, but with the way the world's going, don't bet on it. 
It says, after that, we who are still alive and are left to be caught up in the air together with them. Now, what do we do until that point? Are we disembodied spirits? Do we just float around like a little cloud? I don't think so. The rich man spoke of Lazarus's finger. He saw a finger. He also talked about dipping some water on his tongue. So they must have had some physical form to identify with. Now, how does that happen? This is getting good. God gives us temporary bodies. You're thinking, that's crazy talk. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1 says, For we know that when this earthly tent, the body, is taken down, when we die and we leave these bodies, we will have a home in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies and we long for the day when we will put on our heavenly bodies. For we will not be spirits without bodies, but we will put on new heavenly bodies. That's the temporary body we're going to have until our physical body meets up in the air. Now, think about this. When angels appeared in the Old Testament, what did they appear like? People, right? Everyone thought they were men. Genesis 18, it says, One day about noon, as Abraham was sitting at the entrance to his tent, he suddenly noticed three men standing beside him. So angels get temporary bodies when they're here. We will get temporary bodies when we're in heaven. Now the truth is, this is a lot of, a lot of stuff, a lot of information. We don't have to understand everything there is to know or not know about Hades, our bodies of the resurrection. The one truth that should comfort us now is that Jesus is going to be there. And I think at this point, we're not going to have any questions. How many of you have a list of questions you want to ask Jesus when you get there, right? Yeah. I don't, I don't think you're going to have any questions when you get there. First, uh, First Corinthians 13, 12. Now we see things imperfectly as a poor mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. And all that I know now is partial and complete, but then I will know everything completely just as God knows me. So all those questions that we're kind of writing down, you already know the answers when you get there. I don't know how this is going to work, but I don't think you're going to have to wait in line to see Jesus either. No taking a number, no making an appointment. You're going to be with Jesus personally. John 14:3 says, when everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will be somewhere in heaven away from me. No, you'll be with me where I am. Luke 23, Jesus answered the thief on the cross. I tell you today, you will be not with me in paradise. No, you'll be with Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 4, 17, and so we will be where? With the Lord forever. Philippians 1, 23, Paul says, I am torn between the two. I desire to, part, I desire to depart and be with Christ. And finally, Jesus says in John 17, talking, says, this is his high priestly prayer. Now, we, we refer to, you know, the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, but this is actually Jesus' prayer. That was an example. This is his prayer, and he says in verse 24, Father, I want those you have given to me to be with me where I am. 
Not only are we going to be there, Jesus wants us to be there. And we will be there at the moment we close our eyes. We will be, we will be welcomed when we get there. We will have the escort. I've never had an escort before. But I'm going to have an escort. And I'm going to be welcomed. And I'm going to recognize people. I mean, it says he, Abraham was by his side. How do you know that? Unless he recognized Abraham. How are we going to recognize him? I don't know. We've never seen a picture of him. But again, that's one of those questions that will be answered when we get there. We will know who each person is, miraculously. Now, I've asked the worship team to come back and, and sing, I know, right early. I can only imagine. I think I'm really jipping you guys out of time. But no one is complaining that we're early especially the workers in the children's church. Well, they actually do complain because they're not done with their lesson. They actually have done everything they can do for the hour and a half. Or my notes are getting longer and longer, but the time is getting shorter and shorter. So either I'm reading faster or God's just letting you out early. (laughs) So if I would have the worship team come back up, we're going to sing I Can Only Imagine because that's kind of what heaven's going to be like. We have an idea. God gives us some clues in the word. But in reality, we can only really imagine what heaven's going to be like. And not that we're interested in getting there anytime soon, but that time may come quicker than we think. Lord bless you, Katie.
You know, you read through the Bible and every time that Israel fell, it was because things were going well for them. They had received all of God's blessing. And sometimes I think in America we, we forget what the rest of the world is going through as believers. You saw the pictures of India. You see the martyrdom that's happening throughout the world. You see the poverty that's most places. And for the people who live in those types of situations, they're really looking forward to heaven. Because what they have is nothing compared to heaven. And I think sometimes as Americans, we live in climate-controlled houses, we have climate-controlled cars, we never want for food or water or anything else. And we think, this is pretty good. How much better can heaven be than this? We can't let those trappings make us kind of push heaven away. I wasn't even thinking about saying that until I was sitting there singing the song. It's easy for us to think of God's blessings and then forget God who gave us those blessings. Just like Israel. And right now we see a country that's kind of forgot the blessings of God. And they're trying to go back to things that don't work and poverty and everything else. And I look at that as a lot of evil going on, but I think God does his best work when there's chaos and corruption. Because now people are, they're, up, they're not sure what's going on. But revival, I was talking to Gil this morning. How many were around in the 60s when all that upheaval was happening? Everything, it was just burning the place down, riots and watts and everything else. And what happened out of that? The Jesus movement in the 70s. Amen. So, you can see a revival coming out of all this, you know? So it's easy to curse the darkness that's out there, but man, this is an opportunity for God to do his work in people's lives. And we want to be able to, yeah, we, we, we enjoy God's blessings, but man, we need to focus on what's coming. Whether or not whatever happens to the country happens, pray for our country. The Bible says we pray for our country and pray for the leaders. But we, we want to pray that God uses this time to bring people to Christ. Man, who knows what a revival could start because of this. So I'm going to close in prayer with that, to that effect. Father, we do thank you that we do have heaven to look forward to, Lord, and it is going to be a, a, a glorious place that we can't really comprehend. We see a little bit, Lord. We see it through a glass darkly. And, but man, when we get there, it's going to be beautiful. But as we mentioned last week, it only is beautiful with who's there with us. And we want everyone, just like the Bible says, God wants everyone to be saved. So Lord, we pray that through this chaos and corruption that's happening right now, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would reach people in the world today. Allow this upheaval to bring people to the cross. Begin a revival, Lord, in the churches. We bring, begin a revival, Lord, in the communities and in places where there is the most chaos. I pray that the power of God would come in there and begin revival there. Let people be drawn to the cross. Let people see the power of God. Let them know that there is something beyond this world that they need to make arrangements, reservations for, and that they need Jesus during this time. Father, I know sometimes we, we forget 
you in the blessings. Right now, we seem to be losing some of those. So, Father, I pray that you would take this time to restore in us, in each one of us, the need for you in spite of the blessings. Help us to be used by you for your glory. Because we know our time here is limited. The Bible says our life is but a vapor. Whether you're 20 or 80, Lord, it's short compared to eternity. So I pray that you would use us to the best of our abilities so that we honor you in what we do. So that one day when we get to heaven, you are able to say to us, well done, thou good and faithful servant. So Father, I pray your blessings upon each person here. Meet the needs of each person here, I pray today, and allow those met needs to be testimonies to the people that we come in contact with so they will see something in us that they desire. Father, we do love you this morning and we're so thankful for all you've done for us. Help us to always be appreciative and thankful for what you've done. So Lord, I commit each one of us to you and I pray that you would fill us and use us for the glory of God in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. 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 God bless you. Have a tremendous week. See you here on Wednesday. We start that new series.